for busy parents, coffee is our fuel. Now, if only we could have it on drip, literally. Thank goodness for James Coffee Company, a specialty coffee roaster based in San Diego, California. Have you ever had a bad aftertaste in your mouth from drinking coffee? That comes from drinking low quality coffee. Specialty coffee, like James, has a pleasant taste on the palate and only gets better when it cools down, which is when I usually get the chance to drink it. Sourcing the highest quality green coffee beans roasted to their greatest flavor potential, James roasts coffee daily, so it's fresh when it arrives on your doorstep, unlike buying from a grocery store where coffee may sit on the shelves for months. James supports small farmers and co-ops, and with your order, you support a small business with ethical and sustainable practices that pay their producers above fair market price. All of their coffee bags are 100% recyclable. And fun fact, in James Company coffee shops, the brand has eliminated all single-use cups and has switched to serving drinks in glass jars. Use my code MOMSENSE50 for 50% off your first subscription order and receive 20% off every order after that. It's MOMSENSE50. Just visit jamescoffeeco.com backslash subscriptions. Again, jamescoffeeco.com backslash subscriptions. So the next time you're waking up to make your cup of joe, let it be James. Hi, this is Prerna Gupta, CEO of Hooked, and you're listening to me on That's Total Mom Sense. As moms, we often wonder, am I doing enough for my kids? I'm here to tell you, you are super mama. That's because we have an undeniable superpower, our intuition, and it never steers us wrong. I call it our mom sense. Hi, I'm Kanika Chadda Gupta, and I'm the host of That's Total Mom Sense. I'm a journalist, entrepreneur, wife, and mom of three twins plus one. Now, if I had a dollar every time I heard, gee, you have your hands full. On my podcast, I interview influential moms from various industries and cover topics that all first-time parents grapple with, from getting your baby to sleep to screen time allowance, your new normal in your marriage, and how to dedicate time to yourself. Learn and laugh along with that total mom sense. In this digital age, we have the ability to create and consume content, namely stories, be it fiction or nonfiction, around the clock at our fingertips. And since this is a way of life that Gen Z has ever known, it's important to understand what sticks. What do teens enjoy as a pastime? How do they communicate? What resonates most? One such app, which is revolutionizing the art of storytelling, is Hooked. And the mastermind behind it is Prerna Gupta. Prerna Gupta is a female founder who has launched entertainment apps reaching over a billion people. She is currently founder and CEO of Hooked, which is a storytelling platform reaching 100 million Gen Z viewers worldwide. Hooked has been the number one app on the App Store and Google Play in 25 countries and has won numerous design awards for its innovative chat fiction format. You can read more about what led Prerna to found a storytelling startup in this article that she wrote in Vogue, and we'll uh, link it in the show notes. Hooked investors include Sound Ventures, led by Ashton Kutcher, The Chernin Group, WME Endeavor, Macro, led by Charles King, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, 
LeBron James, Mariah Carey, Jamie Foxx, Joe Montana, Angela Acharya, Asif Manvi, Cayenne Bannister, Eric Rice, Cowboy Ventures, Founders Fund, SV Angel, and Greylock, among many others. Prerna has been named one of the most influential women in tech by Fast Company, and her writing has been featured in the New York Times, Vogue, Forbes, and TechCrunch. Prerna graduated Phi Beta Kappa from Stanford University, and she and her husband, Parag, have a little one, and they're settled in California. Prerna, welcome to That's Total Mom Sense. Thank you, Kanaka. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I mean, you are a powerhouse and I'm so excited for you to delve into your life story and how you got to be where you are today. Many of us in the South Asian community, you know, have an immigrant story, whether we're first generation or our parents immigrated to the U.S. So tell us about your roots. So I'm the oldest child of immigrants from India. My parents are from North India. They immigrated here to the U.S. in 1979, and I was born in 81. Um, And I have two younger siblings as well. And it was a really difficult time to be an immigrant in this country, to be a brown immigrant in this country. We were in Chicago. That's where I was born for the first five years. And then we moved to a small town in Oklahoma. Uh, my, my father's a doctor and it was just, there was an opportunity for him there. And, you know, I don't think my parents really knew the difference between a big city like Chicago and a small town in Oklahoma. Um, but it was very difficult uh, growing up there, especially as a first child in the eighties and nineties, it was not a very tolerant environment, but I learned an incredible amount and it was a very formative time in my life. And I'm actually really thankful for the experiences that I ended up having in Oklahoma. And in a lot of ways, now you fast forward to today, we live in, you know, in in an extremely divisive society. And my experiences growing up in a small town in the middle of the country as an Indian immigrant learning how to find common ground with people who were different from me and had so many different beliefs has really, I think, informed a lot of how I feel about today, which is that there has to be a way for us to come back together because we're not as different as we think we are. So I really appreciate those experiences, even though it was difficult. Yes, absolutely. Did you find yourself kind of educating your peers on on India and like, you know, where your heritage is from. Yeah, absolutely. It's something that I tried to do from a very young age. And my mom really, I think, led the charge on this. You know, even when I was in kindergarten, she would always bring Indian food, you know, uh, from the Indian store, Indian restaurant back. And I guess I feel like you just can't do things like that anymore (laughs) these days with COVID and whatever. But back then it was cool. And Mm -hmm. yeah, she would always bring samosas and chicken, you know, tandoori chicken as a welcoming, you know, and to help people understand our culture and and make it more accessible. And obviously, you know, whenever there was an opportunity opportunity to do show and tell or give a write a paper or give a speech about something. It was always focused on India for me. And so it's something, you know, my Indian heritage and culture have been a huge part of my life. And it was also just about figuring out the balance between being an American and being an Indian at the same time. Absolutely. It was like saved by the bell and full house. And then 
whatever Shah Rukh Khan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Say by the bell by day and right. Bollywood by night. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You are a trained singer in Western classical music. And that's something that we share in common. I did Indian classical music and chorus. And so after we're done with this interview, I would love to do a little duet with you. I would love that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So stay tuned for that. But I wanted to highlight that because you know, your your family and your husband, they're so musically inclined. And so tell us a little bit about, you know, that passion of yours. Yeah, music was really the thing that brought my husband and me together. My husband's name is Parag. We met 17 years ago in the Bay Area. He was actually also at Stanford, but he was doing his PhD there. So, and I was undergrad, so we didn't really know each other at the time, but um, we met at a concert in San Francisco that he, where he was performing. And he is trained in Indian classical music, and he also produces electronic music. I learned Western classical growing up and did a lot of Bollywood singing. I grew up kind of singing on stage my entire life. And so music was a huge passion of me, of mine growing up and a huge passion of his. And it was really the thing that brought us together. And it's, it is something that we have tried to cultivate in our lives, you know, over the years that we've known each other, we actually did a music startup <laughs> before yeah, yeah. hooked together. And uh, it's, we just believe it's one of the universal sources of joy in people's lives. And it's, it's really one of our life's mission to, to bring more music in, into in a lot of ways, back into people's daily lives. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, we'll get into hooked, but stories, I feel, is the other component. And you're really driven by um, creative writing. So was that also yes. an interest early on? Yes, absolutely. Uh, for me, I have been writing my entire life. Uh, I used to write little short stories. I used to write poems. I would always submit them places you know, growing up. And I used to, that was my first, well, there were two things when I was little that I wanted to be. I wanted to be a writer and I wanted to be an inventor. And I think in a lot of ways as the founder of Hooked, I kind of, you know, kind of combine these two yes, desires. Both in, in such an incredible way. Thank oh you. My God, that's and, awesome. and I think it's just, for me also, you know, growing up, as I'd mentioned, as the child of immigrants in this conservative place in America, stories were really an escape for me, you know, reading stories about, especially heroes' journeys stories, you know, about people going through, you know, adolescents or, or orphans going through, you know, the classic thing of, you know, this, this journey and this dark night of the soul and learning how to kind of dig deep and believe in themselves to persevere. Those sorts of stories really inspired me and helped me get through difficult times. And so I just believe that stories are so important in our lives and especially for young people. Yes, yes. Now, what did you end up studying at Stanford? Did you find yourself kind of going the trodden path that most South Asians do? <laughs> I did, yes. <laughs> so I did not study writing. I did not study music. I studied economics. <laughs> okay, good for you. Um, but, what I, <laughs> but what I will say is that I truly found it very interesting. And I did it because, you know, at least I didn't go to med school. <laughs> but, you know, I, <laughs> I did it because it was intellectually interesting to me. And at the mm. time, I actually really wanted to do economic development work in India. And that was kind of what drove me into economics. But as, you know, as I learned more about it, and then as I started thinking about my career, I realized that, 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 you know, that 
seed of that idea. I wanted to be an inventor. Like that really kind of kept coming back. And I realized that my true calling was to make things, was to create things and to find a way to have an impact by, by making products. That's beautiful. What are some of the lessons that your parents instilled in you? First and foremost, you know, as, as immigrants, they, I mean, I really believe that immigrants are like entrepreneurs, you know, you leave everything, you know, forge a new path, they're pioneers. And they really instilled in me that just that fearlessness, you know, to just have a vision to go for it, not worry you know, if you're just kind of diving into something that you don't necessarily know much about and just to, to be brave and believe in yourself and find a path. Um, and then the other thing I would just say is, is mindfulness. I think that's something that is just really deeply rooted in our culture and they embody that. You know, I've seen them go through so many stressful situations and they've always just tried to stay calm, to keep love as their guiding force and just watching that has really just been such a blessing to me. And it's something that I've always tried to incorporate in my life as well. Wow, that's wonderful. And I'm sure it's something that you're trying to pass on to your son. Absolutely, very much so. So let's get further into adulting and you and Barag. Um, So you met at Stanford and it was at the concert and music really was that common thread. But you are partners in crime in so many ways, co-founders, parents, so, you know, tell us the story, the the love story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So as I mentioned, we we met at this concert. It was really, truly love at first sight for us. I mean, it was like, you know, he, um, so I, well, the other way of saying it is we met through family, so <laughs> very Indian, but uh, my cousin um, used to play tabla with Parag and he, so I was actually just hanging out in San Francisco with my cousin and he was like, we should go to this concert my friend's putting on. And so that was kind of the reason that I ended up at this concert that Prague was playing. Prague let us in before he was performing and we were just kind of inseparable from that moment on. There was just something that clicked with us. And I just really feel that it was meant to be that I found my soulmate. And, you know, it's just everything changed for me in that moment. My, I just feel like my priorities and way, my vision for the life that I wanted to build, everything just became very clear. And it was a, truly a whirlwind. You know, over the next couple of years, I was working as a management consultant in San Francisco at the time. I had just recently started that job, graduated from college a few months earlier. And I just started to feel very restless and felt like I wasn't using my time and making the most of, of my time. And I think there was something about my love with Prague that made me realize that time is so precious and you really should make the most of it. And mm. so I ended up leaving that job. I got a job and I realized, you know, I knew it's like, I want to be a founder. I want to create something. I got a job in venture capital. I stuck with that for six weeks. I hated it. <laughs> and, and then Prague and I just had this idea for our first startup it was early 2005. Facebook had just launched, uh, had just raised a $12 million Series A, which seems so small now, <laughs> you yeah. know, in, in today's world. But that, and it was just sort of like really percolating around us this thing, um, social networking. And we felt like, you know what? I feel like this is something that's going to be big in India. Maybe we can start a social network in India. And that was kind of the beginning of our journey as not just as, 
you know, as lovers, but as, as co-founders as well. Yes. Oh my God. That's amazing. What was the name of that company? It was called Yari, which means friendship. In yes. <laughs> oh, I love that. And so you were competing with, um, I guess, Orkut was on the scene at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing history. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. That, that's really cool that you remember that. So yeah. Orkut was really, the, which was uh, a social network owned by Google. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really the only social network around at the time in India. It was really crazy early times in India back then for the internet and for entrepreneurship. Um, Parag and I ended up moving to India for a while to start Yari. Orkit was had traction, but they were kind of struggling with scaling issues. It was very slow, which is so weird because it's owned by Google. And we launched and you know we got some traction for a while. We ended up having a couple of million users. We were kind of starting to make some waves there. And we had no idea what we were doing and we were too slow at everything. And then of course, Facebook soon became the Facebook in India and completely ate our lunch. (laughs) (laughs) And so that startup failed, but we, we stuck it out for four years. We, you know, we really, really gave it our all. We ended up trying to, trying to pivot into a dating site for Indians, which it was too early for dating back then in India, you know, for mm. a dating site. And uh, so it just didn't work out in the end, but it was an incredible learning experience for us. And that was really how, you know, I learned how to be a founder. Yes. Yes. I mean, I think, you know, you really understand um, how scrappy and tenacious and relentless you can be when you're working in that ecosystem. Yeah. I, I mean, I had actually worked in Bombay as well. I moved back, you know, after growing up uh, outside DC and being in the States for, for university and all, um, moved back to, to Bombay to work for CNN. And I found the landscape to be, of course, burgeoning as far as media, but, you know, there was still this like attitude. Yeah. And like, anytime <laughs> I wanted to like get something done, I was like, I'm going to come up with the, you know, a deck and I'll pitch it. And, you know, I'm going to talk to the news directors and get stuff done. And they were just so not used to that. It was like, <laughs> everybody else was like, they're okay with the status quo. And it's just like, you know, yes, sir, sir. Yes, sir. Yes. So, exactly. so, so, sir. And I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not a yes woman at all. Yeah. <laughs> and, I think, um, and you definitely are. And I, I, I just want to know, what your um, experience was like with the nuances, because it's hard to get people to like change and say, it's yes. so hard. It's so hard. And especially back then, you know, I mean, there was, it, it was just, I, I think the tech culture has developed a lot since then, but it was still very new. It was very hierarchical. Like you're saying it was so male dominated. I mean, yeah, we talk about our industries here in Silicon Valley here being male dominated. It's nothing. It's like, it's, it's paradise here compared to what it was like in India back then. And, you know, and I was young, I was 23. I mean, oh, it was, yeah, there was so just, they're, they're it was, not gonna take you seriously, no, right? they really, oh, yeah. nobody, it was crazy hard. It was crazy hard. And then on top of that, like you're saying, just the pace at which people do things, you know, it's just like getting to a meeting takes three hours because of the traffic. It's crazy. Right. So it was like molasses. I mean, it was really, really hard to get anything done. And I think, and it makes a lot of sense that it was a foreign company, ultimately. I mean, obviously I'm American too, and our company's, you know, incorporated here, but, you know, it makes a lot of sense that it was an American company that can just move fast and, and get stuff done that ended up kind of taking over. But yeah. I do think things have changed in India a lot since yes. then. Yes, yes. Um, and back in those days, again, you're, you know, so young and female. Was it, I mean, what was the backlash 
like? Because did people in the boardroom say, oh, you're just the wife of the founder? Yes. And, and you know what, and this, and then just kind of going back to what we're talking about, this wasn't just in India, actually, this was in Silicon Valley. And I've had so many experiences where it's just wild. You know, you're in these pitch meetings, pitching to investors. And of course I'm doing most of the talking. And when the investors ask a question, they would look at my husband and ask him the question. (laughs) It was crazy, crazy. And this has changed a lot. It really has changed a lot, you know, in, in the like 17 years that I've been doing this, but mm-hmm. it was global. It wasn't, it was absolutely not just in India, every single investor. I mean, they were all white men, you know, here and it was like that. And it they were very, very dismissive and it was really, really difficult. But, you know, you forged ahead and, you know, we're going to get to that shortly. It just, it's, I commend you on on all the hurdles that you faced and how they didn't affect you. And, you know, you were kind of unfazed and just full speed ahead. Thank um, you so much. It's hard. Yeah. And I will say that, you know, it's not, you're not always happy and you're not always positive. Like there were a lot of moments where I doubted myself and I wanted to give up, but I, I just, you know, we just kept going. Eventually things started to click. Yes, exactly. Um, so then you made the very sound decision to bow out when you did. And did you move back to Silicon Valley? So we actually had, so we were in India for a year for while we were doing Yari. And then we actually moved back to the United States, but we moved to Atlanta. And the reason was, was that Prague got a um, job as a professor at Georgia Tech to teach in his field, which was a combination of music and artificial intelligence. Um, So it was the music technology group. It was a really unusual, but very forward thinking and cool area of research that he was doing. And uh, so it was a really difficult, he'd actually deferred for a year so we could go establish this company in India. And and then he moved back. And um, so we were running the company together from Atlanta while he was also a professor. And we ended up living in Atlanta for, I think, seven years in total, doing, you know, continuing to do Yari and then shutting it down and then um, immediately jumping into startup number two. Oh, amazing. And what was that? So startup number two was a company called Kush, um, which is actually also a Hindi word that means joy. And it was a music startup, and it was an outgrowth of some technology that Prague had developed in his lab. It was, we call it reverse karaoke. And the basic idea was you sing, and it'll compose music to match what you sing. And this was very exciting for me because, as you had mentioned, I'm a singer, but I don't actually play any instruments. And so, you know, it's always, I'm always kind of just singing a cappella or trying to find karaoke tracks on YouTube or whatever. But it was really, really awesome to be able to just sing and then hear that music, hear that, you know, melody put to a beautiful backing track. And this was in 2000, late 2008, early 2009, the iPhone app store had just launched a few months earlier. And we felt like this could be a really powerful iPhone app that helped hopefully millions of of wannabe singers like me around the world um, make music with their iPhones. And so we commercialized the technology from Georgia Tech and ended up launching our very first iPhone app in 2009 using this technology called LaDida. Wow, that's awesome. And then is that what took you 
on another adventure where you lived abroad? Yes. Well, it was the beginning. It was basically the 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 catalyst for for many adventures that came after. So that so Lottie Dao was really a turning point in my career as a founder. It was the first real success that we had. That app um, ended up having millions of, of downloads um, and did really well. And then we launched another app a couple of years after that called Songify, which uses machine learning to turn speech into song. And that app really blew up. It was the number one app in the world for a while, um, reached huge audiences. And then that led to one of our competitors offering to buy our company. So we joined, that company's called Smule. We joined Smule. We moved back to the Bay Area. And then after a couple of years at Smule, we decided to go on an adventure. And now for a quick break, brought to you by my brand sponsor, Homer. Hi, this is Kanika Chadagupta, founder and host of That's Total Mom Sense. I'm Stephanie Dua, president and co-founder of Homer. And this is At Home with Homer. Homer is the essential early learning program for kids aged two to eight. We have the most comprehensive app available for early learning skills that you can find on iOS or Google Play. And you can also find our really fun explore kits that help kids with their math, their reading, and social emotional learning that you can find on our website learnwithhomer.com. On this weekly segment, we're going to cover a range of topics from raising confident readers to developing emotional intelligence. These are the skills that will carry your child through school and life and resonate most when taught at home by you, their most important teacher. So grab a notepad, your phone, or your mental notebook to remember the tips shared during the segment. And now on to At Home with Homer. This episode of At Home with Homer is about back to school and creating a path to confidence. It's been a really, really difficult time for families, and we've had a lot of twists and turns along the way. But through it all, our kids have shown how resilient they truly are. So as we prepare our kids to get back to school this fall, What should parents be thinking about and how can we best prepare them for a really great school year? Stephanie, what are your thoughts? Thanks, Kanika. I've certainly thought about this with even my teenagers, you know, as they're now getting a little bit older. And I I definitely thought about using the summer when they were little to create confidence. For me personally, and the way we think about it at Homer is it's most important to spend time during the summer building confidence and connection. You know, they're both important. Connection helps with confidence and confidence helps with connection. Connection can be family members, siblings, friends. You know, it's that sort of safety and security of familiar faces and deep relationships that they have. But as you mentioned, kids have shown incredible resilience. And as parents, you know, we can continue to build their confidence by giving them tools to continue their learning, helping them solve problems, and really overcoming obstacles with a growth mindset. I have a few tips I'd like to give parents. One is when we think about building social emotional confidence, it's a great idea for kids to start to learn that language. So one, you can create some prompts and kids can have a writing exercise. One question could be what I loved most about last year and what I liked the least. So recognizing both sides of it is great. And second is what I'm most excited about next year and what I'm most nervous about. Writing a story about their first 
couple of months or their first hundred days at school could be a really powerful way for a child, even before they can write, they can dictate that story and draw and they can start to kind of own those feelings. And if there's any anxiety in there, that's a way of depositing and processing that anxiety. The second thing is celebrating the I did it moments. We get so caught up in these big milestones, these big victories, graduation from kindergarten, reading, math, but it's really important to remember the small I did it moments, the little victories along the way, you know, the child being able to put their pants on by themselves, you know, (laughs) and so really just providing a sense of praise for these little, little moments where they exercise their own agency, where they completed something themselves. That's a great confidence booster for kids, a huge confidence booster. Third is when they think about embracing a growth mindset, I love how, you know, many families develop a daily affirmation and they really post that. It can be super simple. There's lots of websites that have daily affirmations. You know, I'm sure there's an app now probably that has daily affirmations, (laughs) but it's pretty easy to find them. And so just kind of getting into that mindset that to look at the positive, to understand that you're part of a bigger group in a family and, you know, really helping calming strategies to deal with stress. Affirmations are great for adults as well. They're great reminders for all of us. And then finally, as we think about preparing kids for the academic year, children through COVID have had a range of experiences. Some kids have been online, some kids haven't been at school, some kids have been at school. And so how might we think about you know, giving them the confidence as they start to, especially for kids entering kindergarten and first grade in those early school years, you know, obviously Homer, CodeSpark Academy are great resources to help them. It's amazing. You would be surprised at, you know, kids who enter kindergarten confident with some of the basic reading, some of the basic math skills, you know, they really, that confidence carries them through. And so you don't have to overdo it, but I think just really thinking about the foundational skills and what are the key foundational skills that a child should have by kindergarten and really helping shape that, you'd be surprised at how important that is for a child once they're in kindergarten and once they view themselves as a strong student. That's a really powerful confidence builder for kids. Wow. I love all of these tips. Um, I think it's great that you've come up with these tangible takeaways as parents prepare for, for back to school. I wanted to touch on the affirmations bit. It's something that we do in the car on the way to school. And, you know, I have them each say, you know, I am brave, I'm confident, I'm kind, affirmations like that. And I've, I've seen really inspiring videos of parents doing that with kids looking in the mirror. Just, you know, it's so sweet to, to see them make a connection with themselves and look into their own eyes and, and tell themselves that. And I think it's something we all can do and we, we all should do. There's a lot of fun ways you can incorporate daily affirmations into their life. And it's so much better for them to say it, right? Like I am brave, I am kind versus you saying it, right? So that again, comes back to their agency, right? So yes. how they view themselves in the context of the world, right? I'm a brave right. person. And right. then that gives them the freedom to take those acts of bravery, right? Because they view themselves as a brave individual. Yes. Yeah. And it's it's really important that we remember to give that to them because it's not intuitive for them to think of these things. And, and these reminders really go a long way. Well, you're doing a great job. I love it. I'm going to use those <laughs> affirmations. <with my own. laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Yes. All ages. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Thank you, Kanika. We hope you enjoyed this week's At Home with Homer segment. 
To download the app, visit learnwithhomer.com backslash momsense, M-O-M-S-E-N-S-E to receive your very own 60-day free trial. Your kids are going to love playing the games, watching the visual stories, and more. Now, back to the interview. So in your Vogue article, you actually talk about this, you know, adventure and really like crossroads that you you were on. Uh, you said, full of exuberance, we quit our jobs, booked plane tickets, and faced the question of what to do with everything we owned. We packed a storage unit with a few items of furniture and the things we couldn't bear to get rid of. This we would hold on to for 12 months. Our Sonata, we'd store as well. As for keepsakes, the photos and books and music that held so many memories, we digitized them, transferred everything to a couple of slim hard drives, no bigger than our passports. And all you did was you carried a single suitcase, two small backpacks, two computer bags, and my husband's hard child guitar case as he plays Indian classical acoustic instrument called the Sarod. And we, you hadn't settled on a route, but I was envisioning warm beaches, which made packing easy. Bikinis don't take up much space. Oh, <laughs> sounds like bliss. Uh, I mean, I, um, you know, what kind of compelled you to just stop life in its tracks and, and think we're going to live somewhere else. It was Costa Rica, right? Yeah. Um, and you just were like, we're going to enjoy the island life and and check out for a little bit and take a beat. Yeah. So it was really kind of this growing sense of disillusionment that came from success. So mm-hmm. we had been striving all these years to to you know make products that reached millions of people and to be successful founders. And I had actually had this goal kind of, I had never really spoken it aloud to anyone other than Prague, but I wanted to make enough money by the time I was 30 to be able to retire and never have to really work because, you know, just for money, but to really be able to spend, just live life basically. And I got crazy lucky and it happened. And, and when it happened, I found myself totally trapped (laughs) by capitalism and by capitalistic desires and felt like what I had accomplished wasn't enough and I needed more and I needed more money and more status and more accolades. It was, it was disillusioning and it was disturbing. And also I found that, you know, Prague and I had always had a beautiful relationship. We really never fought we were always very much in sync, but suddenly as we were starting to get more and more enmeshed in Silicon Valley and in this desire for success, I found us starting to kind of have more tension in our relationship too. And we were spending less time with music, you know, less time reading, less time doing these things that were so nourishing to us and made us who we were. And there was a point where we just decided it was actually, I remember it very vividly it was christmas break um in 2013 and we were just like what what are we doing you know like what's happening why are we doing this life's better than this and you know we've accomplished so much we don't need more let's just go live life and so we decided to just do that to just pause and not worry if other people were running ahead of us and making more money and getting more 
followers or whatever it was, yeah. you know, yeah. just forget it and go live. And that's what we did. And it just was just one of the greatest experiences of our lives. And I'm so thankful we did it. Oh my gosh. I'm just so inspired by this because, you know, at a time when everyone else is in this rat race, you kind of chose to be in the sannyas phase yeah. yes. where you gave everything up. And and I feel like, you know, as Indians, we think about doing that in our old age because we've lived our life. But the sannyas is something you did as part of your life. Exactly. That's such a beautiful way of putting it. I think that that is a privilege that we have in the modern world you know, to be able to do that. And going back to what we were talking about before about mindfulness and how we learn that in our culture. And we do learn it, but it's also so interesting because traditionally you're not really supposed to focus on it until you're old. Yeah, And it's kind of backwards. Why not? Why not focus on it when you're younger and be able to incorporate that into your life so you can live a peaceful and happy and joyful life while you are working and while you are being a productive member of society. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So now let's get into hooked. Was it while you were away that, you know, the, you know, tr- uh, the, your brain was kind of turning and, and thinking of, of this concept? Yes. So it was during our travels that the inspiration from hooked came to us and, you know, we were traveling, we ended up traveling for a year and a half. We started in Costa Rica and then sort of, sort of popped from beach to beach, basically (laughs) around the world. We did, of course, spend some time in India as well. And during this time, we started to write a novel um, together. Well, I say we were writing together. It was mostly me writing and Prague surfing (laughs) (laughs) and then giving me some feedback, basically, you know, in the evenings. Um, But (laughs) we started to, you know, work on this novel together. It's a sci-fi fantasy trilogy set in Silicon Valley in the future. And as we were writing, you know, we just started to kind of think about what's happening in the world of fiction. And a lot of this came from, you know, we would tell, you know, you travel and people say, ask like, what are you doing? And we said, we're writing a book for teenagers. Nine times out of 10, people would be like, oh, that's kind of cute, but what's the point? Teens don't read. Mm. And that really kind of got us thinking, you know, that's so sad. It's so sad that teens don't read anymore. especially like I was saying, for me at that age, you know, books were so important. They were, yeah, they, they were, were the everything to me. generation. I mean, we exactly for fun. And it was like a means to peak our curiosity and imagination. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so that really stuck with us. And we started to just think about, you know, could we do something to change that given our experience creating music apps for that demographic? Could we just rethink how stories are told on the phone mm-hmm. and kind of bring fiction to where teens were to make it more interesting to them and more engaging so that hopefully they'll spend a little bit less time on social media and a little bit more time reading. Yes. And the way that you did that is so genius. You have these stories that are kind of playing out um, as dialogues between two people and text messaging back and forth, which is, again, um, the language that they speak. And so what made you come up with that concept of storytelling? So it was really just a process of iteration. And this is kind of how we do all of our product development. We just started with the idea was, okay, this is a tall order. We need to make reading engaging on the phone and we're competing with social media. 
So let's just test some ideas. Let's put a few pieces of content in social in teens social media feeds, just run some ads basically on Facebook and see what the engagement is like. We started by testing normal novels, basically, you know, things in, you know, the things you're they're reading in their English class, basically, putting mm-hmm. them up in like normal, just how they're written, kind of old school, and seeing what the engagement was, just to establish a baseline. And of course, the engagement was abysmal. I mean, it was really, really bad. You know? okay, yeah. And then, but then then we had our baseline. It was like, okay, now can we think of some ideas to make to increase the engagement? We started with more image-driven ideas, kind of like comic book or manga style things, but we really didn't see an uptick. And then we just sort of came up with this idea one day, you know, they spend their lives texting each other. That's how they're telling the stories of their lives. What if we told a story in text message format? And we wrote like a five-minute story and we put it up and the engagement was just through the roof. It was higher than anything we'd ever seen. And that was kind of the light bulb moment and how we came up with the idea for Hooked. Yes. Yeah. And I've seen the ads um, and I love that because there's these <laughs> cliffhangers that are like, oh my God, I got to run and download this app, um, which is just brilliant. I, I feel like, you know, you're dubbed the queen of viral apps, but I want to say that you're like the Shakespeare of our culture and generation. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, because that's kind of, you know, how we, you know, we're taught Shakespeare. Obviously, he's he's writing in this iambic pentameter and it's all, it's a screenplays, but it's it's the same thing, right? It's, it's a conversation and dialogue driving the story. Well, thank you for that comparison. I don't deserve it. And I think, but I, I really appreciate it, especially because I think a lot of people see Hooked and, you know, the reaction that we get a lot of time from adults is that, Oh, you're destroying reading. You know, you're taking something, this, these, you know, this, this sort of like holy thing and this, this very like high-minded thing, and you're kind of dumbing it down and making it really stupid. But what we're saying is, A, we're not trying, we're certainly not trying to destroy traditional novels. You know, right. I love reading traditional novels. We're just trying to create a gateway. And it's what the insight really is that it, it's exactly what you're saying about Shakespeare conversation is, you know, human interaction is something that we are wired to pay attention to as humans. And by really putting the dialogue front and center, it was, it was kind of the thing, the trick that made teens pause in their social feeds and actually read a story. Yes. Yes. And what was your why all along? I feel like all entrepreneurs have one. It's what you have to turn back to when you're ready to quit. So what is it? Yeah, it was really this deep belief that reading great stories is so important in our lives and especially for teenagers. And then if that if that dies, there's a really important part of the human experience that will die. And we just wanted to do whatever we could to bring that experience into the modern world so that it can continue to thrive. Yes. And are you going to kind of iterate to incorporate music AI into this app or another one? Yes, um, we are working. It'll probably be a different app, but we are working on something that incorporates exactly what we're saying music, um, some machine learning, and actually a little bit of mindfulness to with storytelling to kind of recontextualize 
all of these things. I think, you know, so we are, so many people are suffering and teens especially are suffering right now with everything that's been happening. And we really believe that there's a role that art has to play to help people kind of quiet the, the, all the noise in their minds and, and just, um, you know, find their peace again. Yes. Yes. I think um, what's really the linchpin for the app and the stories is the writing. So how do you recruit like really talented creative writers? Yes, you're absolutely right. Um, Great stories come from great writers. And um, that has been, you know, the thing that we have focused on from the very beginning. We actually started, we've actually always really um, tried to find writers that hadn't really been discovered yet or had their lucky breaks. And so we started very early on by reaching out to creative writing programs across the country and just kind of putting out a call and saying, you know, we're trying to get teens to read fiction. (laughs) We've created this kind of unusual format. And so if you're interested in writing fiction for teenagers in particular and interested in innovation, like come write for us. And we were blown away by the response. We had so many writers reach out that thought that there was agreed that there was a need for this and a need to kind of rethink how stories are told. And our network of writers just kind of grew from there through word of mouth and it's continued to grow. And, and we've worked with hundreds of writers now, um, not just in America, but in other countries as well. And, and uh, it's been really one of the most fulfilling parts of, of what we've done. That's wonderful. Um, so I want to get into another adventure, parenting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the greatest of all adventures. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So when did you and Parag decide you were ready to start a family? So um, it was after we'd been together for 15 years. <laughs> so we waited a really long time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we have um, our first son. He's two years and uh, three months old. Um, his name is Shiv. And actually going back to the topic of last names, um, we decided, so my last name is Gupta, as you know, my husband has a different last name, Chordia. And we just felt like Gupta Chordia was going to be like a, a mouthful <laughs> of a last name. And so we decided to give Shiv um, his own last name. And so his his last name is Thal, T-A-A-L, which means rhythm in Hindi. Wow. Oh, I love that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So Shibbal, our son, our first son. And um, I'm actually pregnant right now with our second child. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's news for us. That's wonderful. (laughs) And yeah, you know, parenting has been truly the greatest adventure and, you know, everyone has their own path. I'm really glad we waited um, as long as we did. I, I really felt, I, I wouldn't say I felt ready, you know, mm-hmm. but um, I feel like now in retrospect, we definitely were ready for it. And all of the experiences that Prague and I had together as, you know, starting these companies together, you know, as partners and as founders, I think just really helped us be mature parents and, you know, learn how to just stay calm when things were difficult and all of mm-hmm. that. And, and it's just been really wonderful. That's great. No, I'm I'm excited for you, and I'm I completely agree. Um, in kind of knowing when the time is right, like Costa Rica would not have been the same. Exactly <laughs> with the bottles and the sippy cups, like yeah, no. <laughs> exactly. So you did it right. Your timeline was perfect. Um, oh, that's so great. What has um, parenting kind of taught you? I mean, how how are you as a mom? I feel like it. You know, 
it taps into these different facets of our personality that we didn't know existed. So what's going to change in you? I think the biggest thing is, um, you know, especially as a mom, it just brings out a certain, you know, you can say vigilance or paranoia, (laughs) depending on how you want to, you know, uh, frame it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think I always knew deep down that this would come out in me as a mom, you know, because it's just, it's, it's my mom, you know, And, and I think you have to have some level of that. It's, it's like, it's just, it's, innate and it's our role as mothers. I really do believe that, but it's also, I really try to just kind of, you know, keep it at bay. And it's so hard. I mean, there's so much pressure on social media and all these things that you're fed, like the plastic thing, you know, like plastics, the devil and all of these things. And like, there are two parts of me. One is just like practical. It's just like, okay, it's just light it wait and it's so much easier and like it's easier to put it the plastic in the dishwasher and like he's gonna be okay like I've been doing that my whole life we're fine you know and the other part of me that's like the plastic (laughs) yeah it's like this definite feeling of like being conflicted all the time exactly exactly so just I think what I'm learning I'm continuing to learn it's a continuous process is just to just chill out, you know, (laughs) these things don't matter that much. He's going to be totally fine. And yeah, just, just look at the bigger picture of just, he's amazing. And, you know, we're so lucky to be able to give him a life that he has and just, you know, focus on joy and love and like, it's all going to be fine. Yes, exactly. What is uh, Shiv like? He's just really happy. He's a happy kid, you know, which is just, um, it's so great. It was so such a joy to have that during COVID and during the lockdowns, just to have his laughter and his smiles all the time. He is very strong-willed, which is, I guess, mm-hmm. not that surprising since yeah, his parents are too. strong-willed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, he has a lot of energy, I think sometimes too much for me. But, and he's surprisingly um, social, which, you know, is weird because I think at his age, I was actually pretty shy, but um, he's, he's a very sh- social kid, which has been which has been nice. That's so sweet. So he's ready to be a big bro. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us about a mom sense moment that you've had. And by that, you know, I mean, your sixth sense, we all have it and it just never steers you wrong. So when did you trust your mom sense? Well, you know, I love that question also, because it kind of goes back to what we're talking about that this, you know, do you consider it paranoia or do you consider it vigilance? And there's sort of, you know, it's like, it's important that you have that. And so for me, one of the really kind of important moments was when Shiv was nine months old, I was paranoid (laughs) that um, he had iron deficiency anemia. And it was, I feel like I I felt like I was seeing signs of it. He wasn't really eating solids very much. He was mostly just still on breast milk and have this instinct that he had it. And when we took him to his checkup, I asked the doctor and she was very dismissive of it actually and said it wasn't necessary, but I really insisted. And we ended up getting him checked and sure enough, he had iron deficiency anemia. And so we got him supplementation and now, you know, he's off of it and he's totally fine now and everything's good. But it was really one of those moments where like, I'm just like, I'm really glad I pushed for this and didn't just, you know, let society tell me that I'm being a crazy mom. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. Ah, that's, I'm so glad you trusted yourself, you know? Yeah. And that's really what the show is all about is to like remind ourselves that, 
yes, there's plenty of parenting books out there now, and there's experts and your pediatrician, and you know everybody wants to you know give you their opinion, but sometimes it's your gut that's going to steer you exactly. on the right path. Let's not forget our quote of the day. Is there a quote that you live by? Yes, um, it's a roomy quote, and it's mm. only from the heart can you touch the sky. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. You know, it just, it's a reminder that, you know, it's really important to do everything that you do with love and do it from the heart. And there are, I think there is so much pressure on all of us, especially moms to be perfect, you know, to be richer, more beautiful, more famous, more fit all the time. And I think if you do those things, just for the accomplishment of those things, they end up being hollow in the end. But if you do whatever you pursue, pursue it from the heart and you will find fulfillment in it, regardless of what the outcome is. And that's really what I try and live by. Yes, that's beautiful. I completely agree. It's now time for Mom Hall when we share products we love. Okay, Mom Hall is a fun segment where you can share a product or gadget that you're just loving that you want other parents to know about. Yeah. So this one is, um, it's for adults. It's called the Theracane massager. And it's just this like really kind of weird and kind of simple contraction contraption that, um, just helps you get like the little kinks out of your neck and stuff, basically. <laughs> and I think, especially when you have a toddler that you're carrying around in awkward positions all the time or trying to work out, you know, whatever it is, especially at my age, because I didn't wait a long time to have kids. <laughs> I always have kinks. And so, yeah, that has changed my life. The Theracane massager, I highly recommend it. <laughs> cool. Where can we find you? Yeah. So I am on Instagram. Um, it's just Prerna Gupta, you know, my first name, my last name. Um, I try and post music sometimes and stories and all things, you know, I try and just do some breathing. So just all the things that I'm passionate about. Uh, I like to share that with other people. That's wonderful. Um, so I'm going to take it back to this duet <laughs> that we have planned and we will end <laughs> on a high note, literally. Savan ka mahina pavan kare sor Jiyarar jhume aise jaise ban maana chemur Savan ka mahina pavan kare sor Jiyarar jhume aise jaise ban maana It was a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us, your insights, your humor. Much, much continued success to you. I'm so proud of you. Thank you, Kanika. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a pleasure. You are such an inspiration. And I really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk. How fun was this episode? Prerna, thank you for being so down to earth and candid about your journey. I'm so glad we've become fast friends and I'm excited for your ongoing ventures in tech 
and the intersection of content creation, music, and AI. If you don't already, subscribe to That's Total Mom Sense wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen to the episodes on my website, that's totalmomsense.com, and teasers on YouTube. Of course, follow me on IG at Kanika Chadha Gupta, where I share highlights of my upcoming guests. And I really enjoy interacting with my audience, you, my community, on who you want to hear from, what you want to know, and show topics that really land and resonate with you. Write to me at thatsotalmomsense at gmail.com. And remember, always... Trust your mom sense. Stay strong, super mamas. I'll see you next time. That's total mom sense.